and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen, everybody. This is Brother Frank back with another episode of The Remnant Call. Glad to have everybody here with us tonight. And uh, if you've seen the update on Facebook or know about the show on the email list, if you're not on the email list and you want to get on the uh, Remnant Call email list to get updated, I think you can go, I know you can go to the Facebook page, uh, Remnant Call page, and sign up for the email list. I think you can also get it off the website. I'll have to check that. But uh, just we'll send you an email and remind you when our shows are coming and see what's up. And uh, we'll make sure we keep in contact with you. Um, other than that, just want to say welcome, everyone. And I just, if you noticed on our YouTube channel on Monday, or no, Sunday night, we posted uh, an out of the normal post. We normally are just on Thursday evenings, but we posted on Thursday night uh, a message from my good friend, uh, Pastor Marty Breeden. And uh, he did a show. It was, I went up to his church to record for him a message that had been on his heart uh, called America's Most Pivotal Hour. So we edited it, throw it up there on the YouTube channel. It's 36 minutes long. Go check it out. Uh, as Pastor Breeden uh, really just opens his heart up about what the Lord is laying on here. Everybody, folks, that I know that is, is awake in this hour feels an intense, heavy burden to get close to God. Uh, and I don't feel that this is just uh, uh, people making this up in their mind. This is an honest calling from the Spirit of the living God to get our lives right, to get our houses in order, uh, to square everything away. If we need to ask somebody for forgiveness, let's do it. If we need to witness to our neighbors, let's do it. But let's be about God's business because this thing's winded down. You know, about uh, a week ago, uh, two weeks ago, even before they even knew it was coming, you know, Puerto Rico didn't realize that their lives were over. And, and for that country, it is over. And so we don't under, know when the last day of our normal lives is going to be. But I can tell you what, things are going to change here soon. And, uh, and it doesn't take anybody that was in Florida. Anybody that was in Houston understands that when the hurricane comes in, when disaster strikes, it takes about a couple of hours for the store shelves to go empty. And for you to try to find food and water at that moment, good luck. We should have already been prepared. And But even though we talk about physical preparation, the most important is we got to get our spirit in line, in harmony with what God wants us to do. We need to line up with what he desires for us to do. And in this hour, you cannot trust men. You must trust the Lord. And what a better guest to bring on at a time like this than Brother Benjamin Brook, because Brother Benjamin has been very insistent through the years that we are in touch, we are hearing from God, because men can deceive, women will deceive, but God leads us in the paths of righteousness. And so I'm going to bring Brother Benjamin on here in just a second, but just for a few of you that have been wanting to write me a letter or send me, actually don't, don't want to email. If you want to email, it's remnantcall at outlook.com. But if you want to send me a snail mail, uh, feel free. We finally got our post office box up and going. So it's a remnant call and it's P.O. Box 131, 
Linville, L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E, Virginia, 22834. That's Post Office Box 131, Linville, Virginia, 22834. So send us a letter in there, and uh, we'll get back with you. And we just love and appreciate everybody who's helping to spread this message about getting right. The remnant of God, the called out. Those, the, you know, folks, often we think of the church. We, we, what church do you go to? And that means what building do you attend? Folks, the church is the gathering of the called out. And what an hour that we need to be gathering together, fasting and praying and seeking God's face. Well, I'm not going to hold this guest on any longer because I want to bring Brother Benjamin on the line here to get this program going. Brother Benjamin, are you here with us? Well, praise God. We're here, and uh, thank you for the invitation tonight. Amen. Well, Brother Benjamin, I know that you have a, a word uh, that's burning in your heart. And uh, and I'm just asking Benjamin that you would just open up this program tonight uh, with some prayer. Uh, I don't know anybody that doesn't need prayer at this moment. Oh, amen. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. We are entering into a time when our ability to stand and our ability not to faint going to be directly related to how much time we have spent with the Lord. And uh, praise God that the doors are still open and the Lord is still reaching out to really a backslidden and a rebellious people. But we'll get into all of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that tonight we are still a people who are blessed with freedom. We are a people that are blessed with with health, with the opportunity, Lord, to choose between the holy and the unclean, to choose to return to Zion, to choose to repent. And the door to your tabernacle is open, Lord. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is still pleading with your church to return to its first love and that you are still calling your remnant to pick up their cross, to deny their self, and to put off the mind of the flesh, to enter into solemn assemblies and seasons of prayer and fasting, to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness to the children of men. I thank you for your mercy and your long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that each of us have received from your hand. But there's a time for every purpose under heaven. Lord, the time of mercy and the time of patience is drawing to an end. And out of your goodness, Lord, you are warning your people that the sand in the hourglass is becoming very scarce time is short. The days are growing increasingly evil. I pray, Lord, we would be awakened with a Macedonian call and that people could return to you with all of their hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Well, Frank, praise God. When was the last time that we were on this program together. I think it was about a month ago, Benjamin. I think we just we, we might as well just make it a monthly slot while we can. Um, before, wow! Before what, the months run out. What 
what changes just a few short weeks have brought. Yes. Uh, I'm assuming uh, most of our audience is some, has stayed somewhat current in the events of the world. And, of course, there's the chaos and the political mess and the coming war among the nations. But in terms of the signs and the sun, the moon and the stars and the waves of the sea roaring, she earthquakes in diverse places following the great American eclipse it's as if things have exploded you know the first major judgment which hit the United States following the the eclipse over the United States and God has very clearly got the United States of America in his crosshairs that was obvious from the eclipse. The Lord was sending a very clear message to even the, the densest of Americans. Darkness was about to cover your land. And the path of that eclipse, curiously, was exactly the Oregon Trail through which the West was first opened. And so the Lord is just sort of rolling backwards showing the American people that, you know, their time is coming to an end. The time of prosperity, the time of God's protection, the time of favor that was granted unto this nation shall soon be no more. And, and what was it, five days? And Hurricane Harvey hit. Superstorm. And, you know, this hurricane recharged itself over and over and over again, ended up dumping something like four feet of water in, the devastation is incredible. But before we could really even begin to focus on the beginning of the reconstruction efforts in Houston, a massive earthquake hits Mexico. And, and before we can look to, to the progress in the recovery of Mexico, another hurricane suddenly appears, and, and, and now today Puerto Rico is destroyed. Effectively, there is no power. The entire electric grid is gone. The people on the island of Puerto Rico are now living in the 19th century. As a news story aptly quoted, that would be fine, except for they don't have the, uh, the provisions and, and the equipment necessary to live in the 19th century. They've got cell phones and laptop computers that are suddenly worthless. You know, and literally overnight, the world has ended in Puerto Rico. Mm. And then another superquake. And much of the news is not even being reported, Frank. A earthquake storm is being unleashed around this planet. If you go to the various earthquake tracking sites, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Numerous six magnitude or greater earthquakes have been striking all over the Pacific Rim, not even being reported. We've had mega disasters in this country that have hardly even received news coverage. A friend of mine alerted me to the devastation that took place in Colorado from a hailstorm in which hundreds of thousands of cars were destroyed, 100,000 roofs in people's homes, destroyed. They have not yet been repaired. There's going to be no time to recover. These 
warnings, these judgments, if you will, they're coming on like a hurricane. They're coming on in, in rapid succession. And, and before America can even begin to think about the recovery effort, another judgment will hit. And we are merely in the, the preview. You know how you go to the movies and the very first thing you sit down and very before you see the main picture that you chose to attend, they show you the coming attractions. That's what we're in right now. My opinion, this is nothing more than the coming attractions. It's a little picture into what the future is going to look like for the whole earth. And I'm really, I wonder what will come as we, as the time of the high holy days passes. Right now, praise God, it's Rosh Hashanah. For those of you on the, on the East Coast, the day of trumpets has ended, and you are now in the second day of what is known as the Days of Awe. And these days, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, represent the ten days of repentance, in which all of God's people were admonished to literally return to the Lord, to make Teshuvah. And it was the custom of Israel to be baptized. The baptism of John the Baptist came out of this time of Teshuvah when, when devout Jews would take an inventory of their life. They would look back over the last year, how well did I do or not? What do I need to deal with? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to seek forgiveness what do I need to do to return to the Lord? You know, the Gentile church has been robbed of many things. They've been robbed of uh, any knowledge, any real knowledge of the high holy days. Now, maybe that's being restored in certain, certain groups that are focused on the biblical feast days, recognizing that these are the feasts of the Lord. They're not just the feasts of the Jew. They have a prophetic significance. They're relevant. They are the feast of our God. And they will be continued in the kingdom. So, you know, we should take heed and learn as much as we can about them. But for the most part, the Gentile church is sort of oblivious. They have no idea we are in the days of awe. They have no idea that this is the final countdown. And according to the tradition, and one can dispute the the authenticity of the, of the teaching of the elders. But according to the tradition, during these ten days of awe, from the blowing of the trumpets, in which God calls the nation to attention, take heed, the trumpet has sounded. The people are admonished that you are going to appear before the Lord on the great day of atonement, and it's only ten days away, folks. And if your heart is not right. It may be the last time you appear before your God on an atonement day. Now, the Gentile church, they've lost all concepts of these truths. They have the Easter bunny. And they have this Saturnalia debauchery that they call Christmas, 
which is really a pagan festival of sun worship. And they have their get-out-of-jail-for-free card in, in their deceptions in which they think they're not going to ever have to suffer anything for Jesus' name. For the most part, they're gospel-hardened as well. Their, their hearts are hardened from the truth, even as their minds are wrapped up and sealed up in a, in a fortress of pride. They're the children of the Hellenist school, The Gentile, the, the, the Greek worldview of Hellenism. And it is so appropriately named because the hell in Hellenism came right out of hell. Mm, mercy. And the school, the Greek school of Hellenism is really the world's value system today. And it teaches that the highest good is knowledge. Gnosis the holders of the light, the people who have the secret knowledge, and, and they are the ones who have achieved the highest revelation. And so even the, the scripture has been interpreted and perceived in the context of Hellenism. If I know the word of God, that is presumed to be the knowledge of the Lord. The multitudes will find out on that day that they were the many. They stood among the many who would seek to enter through the wide gate, through the wide road. And that road is a Hellenist highway, and it leads to hell. The scriptures were written from a Hebraic perspective. And the theology of the Bible is one of relationship. Praise God. I want to get into a few scriptures tonight because indeed the time is at hand. I think, you know, there's been an ongoing debate, if you will. There's been the mockers and the scoffers. You know, they love to quote the, the famous verse, No man knows the day or the hour. And they interpret that to mean none of us could know anything about the return of the Lord. Yet that is totally absurd. The Lord commanded us to watch for a reason. It wasn't because we couldn't possibly know anything. If that were true, we'd be wasting our time. We would indeed be wasting our time. But the smockers and the scoffers presume we know nothing. And then others would argue this or that interpretation. But I think these arguments and these debates about the time in which we're living, I think they are beginning to just become pointless. We have a nuclear war pending with Korea. Russia and China are mobilizing their armies. The financial system is collapsing. And I just pray that this phone line would not be disrupted any further in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. This is ridiculous. Hallelujah, Lord. 
Let's look to the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 9. Oh, that my head was filled with water, that my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I could weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah is wishing he could cry all night. And a night of tears indeed is coming soon to America. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for wayfaring men, that I could leave my people and go far away from them, for they are all adulterers and an assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongues like the bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth. They're not brave in standing for the truth upon the earth. They proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. They know his name. They are Hellenists in the camp of the Most High God. But the Lord is not a Hellenist. Lucifer is the Hellenist among us. Take heed, every one of you, of your neighbor. Trust not in any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Take heed, everyone. That word for take heed in Hebrew is shamar, and it means hedge yourself around about as with thorns. Guard yourself. Protect yourself. Beware and be circumspect and take heed to yourself. Look, observe, and save yourself from your neighbors. Trust not in any brother. And that word for any is kol in the Hebrew. It means the whole lot of them, all of them, everyone. Now the Lord does not exaggerate. Ever. God is warning of a time when the normal experience would be neighbors that were treacherous men and that it would be dangerous to place any trust in your brother because now will be a time when many will become offended and betray one another. Jeremiah 9, verse 5, And they will deceive everyone, his neighbor. They will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and they weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your habitation is in the midst of deceit. And through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. These people who, are, who counted themselves the people of God, they did not know the Lord. In verse 3, Jeremiah 9, the Lord says, They do not know me. And again in verse 6, he repeats it. He says, They refuse to know me. But they have their Hellenism. They have their knowledge of good and evil. They've got the dark counsel of the fallen mind of man, and through it they have become treacherous, deceivers. And that word, for deceit in this text is mirma, and it means a deceiving fraud, crafty and false, feigned, as in faking it, full of guile and subtlety and treachery. They are treacherous men. That word treachery is defined as betrayal, a breach of trust, duplicity, 
They speak out of both sides of their mouth. The white men speak with forked tongue, the, the Indians once said. In the last days, Laodiceans speak with forked tongue as well. They stab in the back. They are double-dealing. The word treachery comes from the French word treachere, which means to cheat or to steal. Jeremiah 9, verse 7. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God Almighty, Behold, I will melt them, and I will try them. And how shall I do for the daughter of my people? That word for melt them is safar. And we get safarim. It means to be fused by fire. When metals are put into an inferno, a blast furnace, until the point the metals begin to melt and they fuse together, then, and the, the impurities are literally purged away by the intense heat of the blast furnace. That's what's coming. God's going to deal with this treacherous people. He's going to deal with the duplicity and the lies. He's going to deal with all of this corruption in his church, where the people have fallen these Hellenistic doctrines, and in their minds they've rationalized all of these sins. And they wait for a preacher rapture to take them out of the path of suffering. And their God says, I'm going to melt them. And that's if they belong to him. Because if they don't belong to him, they're going to hell for eternity. But as the scripture says, the Lord has not appointed us to wrath. And that's the wrath that we're going to escape. It's the eternal hell of the judgment of a righteous God. But the Lord will try his people. And that word is, in Hebrew, it's bachan. It means to test, to investigate, to prove, and to try us. That's what we're going through. That's what we're about to pass through, my friends. We're going to pass through a fire. We're going to pass through a trial. And in it, God's going to investigate how are we going to behave. And he's going to also purge away all of the iniquities from in his people. Scripture says that Jesus Christ learned obedience through the things that he suffered, which is an astonishing claim, given that the Lord knew no sin and had no sin, and he himself was the very Son of God, but he also had become a man. He had taken the flesh nature upon himself, and that nature could only learn obedience through the things that it suffered. But we are the generation of people. We have short-circuited the suffering and thus the education of our God. The Lord appoints us suffering, and we take painkillers. The Lord appoints us these trials, and we run, and we try to get out of them. How many Christians are on antidepressant medication? It's like, I don't even want to know the answer. But the days are coming when none of those things will deliver us. Jeremiah 12. Righteous are thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Let me talk with you about your judgments. Why do the way of the wicked prosper? And why are they happy, all of those who deal treacherously? Right now, 
today, the treacherous people are happy. They're partying. It's party on time. They're rich and in need of nothing. These are the Laodiceans. And it still goes well for them, unless they happen to live in Puerto Rico or Houston or Florida or a number of other locations where the judgment of God is already hit. But, but the balance of the Laodicean people, the Hellenistic people, they're still happy. Their duplicity is working. That game of hiding your sin is still paying off. And they can cheat, and they can lie, and they can steal. And it appears they're getting away with it. Jeremiah 12, verse 2. Thou hast planted them. Yes, and they've taken root. They grow. They bring forth their fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. The word of God is in their mouth, but very far from the things that are controlling their heart. But you, O Lord, you know me. You've seen me, and you've tried my heart. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Whoa. And prepare them for the day of slaughter. My friends, I don't mean to be trying to put burdens on you. that would cause you to stumble. But if we are still carrying our burden of sin, it will bring us to fall in the days that are ahead. And believe me, you do not want to fall in the day of the slaughter that is coming. How long shall the land mourn, Jeremiah 12, verse 4, and the herbs of the field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. That's what's happening right now. The land is mourning. The beasts are consumed. The birds are dying. Because they said, He shall not see our last end. The people think they're going to get away with it. We think we can defy the laws of the living God. And as long as we honor Him with our lips, we think we will not see the consequence of his judgment and that is a deception and if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you how will you contend with the horsemen of the book of revelation when they are released upon this land and if in the land of peace which is our land today wherein you've trusted if that's wearied you what will you do in the swelling of the Jordan God's telling the people, look, you're having a hard time now. You're not ready for what's coming. We've got to get our hearts firmly fixed. We've got to get our feet established on the rock that cannot be shaken. We must take this time, this final time, and redeem it. And turn off the entertainment of Babylon. Walk away from the things of compromise. Fast and pray, gather in solemn assemblies, do whatever you can to turn your hearts back to the Lord. Jeremiah 12, verse 6, For even your brethren of the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they call the multitude after you. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto you. you know, I think this is fulfilled in... Literally, in many, many families today, 
mother. Sons betray their father. And a man's enemies are the members of his own house. Jesus quoted from that specific prophecy, which is part of Micah chapter 5, in his Matthew 24 discourse. And here Jeremiah prophesies of the same thing. Your brothers from the very family you grew up in, they will deal treacherously with you. And I think it's also fulfilled in the spirit in the churches, which is the house of our Father God. There, our Christian brothers, how quickly do they betray us? How quickly do they throw your name under the bus? How quickly do they break fellowship? All in the name of the Lord, of course. Dealing treacherously, dishonestly, one with another. Jeremiah 12, verse 7, I have forsaken my house. As a result of this, God is forsaking his house. I've left my heritage, the church. I've given my dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of their enemies. That's what's about to happen to us here in America, folks. My heritage is unto me as a lion in the forest. It cries out against me. Therefore, I hate it. God's talking about his own house. Now, when Jeremiah spoke this prophetic word, it was to the nation of Israel, who were the people of God in the time of Jeremiah's prophecy. But the word of God is fulfilled twice. If you want to get a perfect prophetic word, to the United States of America, you can read the book of Jeremiah, and everywhere that Jeremiah says Israel, you insert the United States of America, and everywhere Jeremiah says Judah, you read the church. You will get a perfect word of God for this nation, and it's backslidden, compromised, apostate, Laodicean church. And we all came out of that church, brothers and sisters. We all are part of that church. We all must repent of these things. We've all been contaminated by the Hellenism, thinking that if I just knew all these Bible doctrines, then it would be all right with my soul. People are walking around claiming Psalm 91, assuming that somehow it covers them, it will cover them in the coming deluge and protect them simply by quoting the Bible. Promises of Psalm 91 only extend to those who literally dwell or live, have their being in the presence of the Lord. Not for people who are walking in the dark counsel of the knowledge of good and evil and are filled with the unclean thoughts of the flesh who have the word or the name of God on their lips, but their hearts are far from him. No, those people are not going to be protected by Psalm 91. You can quote Psalm 91 until the cows come home. Unless you meet the conditions, we must go in the inner court. To dwell in the presence of the Lord means to leave the outer court of the mixed multitude and to enter into the house of the Lord. That's the place of safety. But how do we get in? Well, the Lord Jesus said, I am the door. And I'm, I know some of you guys have been listening to me for, for a number of years. And we all are waiting for the book, that I Am the Door, Volume 4 of the Search of the Scripture series, to be completed. Literally, the book got halfway done, and 
and it stopped. And I'm not the author of these books. I can't finish the work. I wouldn't dare. It would, it would be ridiculous. But the Lord is the door. But we have to use the model of the temple, right? We've got to go to the lather, which is the water basin. We have to clean our hands. We have to wash our garments. We have got to get the mud off our shoes. You can't go walking into the inner court, the, the holy place of the Lord, which is actually inside of his house. You don't get in the Lord's front room with mud, with the sin and the mud of this unclean world all over you. You've got to clean up. You've got to offer your prayers at the altar of incense. You've got to make your sacrifice, your own life, a living sacrifice. We have got to literally pick up your cross. The death of Jesus on the cross as the death of your carnal man, which is more than a doctrine. It needs to become an experiential reality as we begin to put off the mind of the flesh in a experiential truth, and we begin to walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, when people righteously would ask, how do you do that, Benjamin? Brothers and sisters, you keep knocking until the door opens. You keep praying until heaven answers. You keep fasting. You keep seeking. You never stop. And then you fill your life with all the things the Scripture admonishes us to do. You begin to praise the Lord. You meditate on His Word. You put yourself in your closet and you seek Him in prayer. You gather together in prayers of agreement with others. You do everything that you can do and everything that you know to do to seek the Lord as if your very life depends on it because it does. And not only does your life depend on it, the lives of your children and the lives of their children may very well be depending upon you as well. But the Lord will help us if we seek him with all of our hearts. But here the Lord in Jeremiah 12, 7, he's, he's speaking a rebuke, saying, I've forsaken my house. My heritage is like a, a lion. It's, it cries out against me, therefore I've hated it. My heritage is a speckled, an unclean bird. The birds round about are against her. Come, assemble all the beasts, and come to devour. That's what's happening. The beasts are going to be released. And they're going to come, and they're going to devour. You do not want to be in the outer court when the beasts are released, and they begin to devour all the people. Jeremiah 12, verse 10, Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They've trodden my portion underfoot. They've made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. The Lord specifically ascribes some of the responsibility for what has happened in the church to the pastors, for having taught a light message, for not having taught the whole counsel of the Word of God, for having taught false prophecy. In Jeremiah 23, we're told, Woe unto those who tell my people, you'll never see the day of evil. Gee, what would that be? Well, in the pre-trib rapture deception. Most of the church thinks they're about to disappear. They are going to be utterly devastated when they find out they're about to be captured and persecuted instead of raptured. And the pastors who misled the people, well, the Lord says, 
woe unto them. And I got news for you guys. When God pronounces a woe, you don't even want to know what that means. That's serious. That's as serious as it gets, my friends. Many pastors have destroyed the churches. Jeremiah twelve eleven. They've made the churches desolate. They've made the lives of the people desolate. They've trodden my portion. They trampled what was supposed to be God's church. They just muddied all the water. They also used no discernment whatsoever, and they let the enemy come in and join the prayer group and, and pray for the people up front. Lay hands on the people coming forward for help, and, and, and here are people that are actually witches and warlocks there to destroy the church, and the pastors were oblivious while they were muddying the water with their unclean feet. They've made it desolate, and being desolate, it mourns unto me. That is the condition of many, many Christians today. They are mourning, crying out to the Lord for deliverance. And the whole land is made desolate, and no man lays it to heart. There's almost no one who really comprehends the devastation that is the American church today. But we lay it to heart. Seek the Lord. Ask God to, to give you the conviction of this. Spoilers have come upon all the high places. The sword of the Lord shall devour from one end of the country to the other, and no flesh shall have peace. Nobody who stays in the mind of the flesh will have peace. It's impossible. What is coming will shake you to the core. The only way to walk through what is ahead of us with peace is to put off the mind of the flesh. The Sabbath is a picture of the ending of ceasing from your own works and stopping walking in the power of your flesh and waiting on the Lord, resting in the Lord and learning to enter into His Spirit and then learning to go forth and do the will of God in the very presence of the Spirit of the Lord. And this is something you develop over time. And if at first, when you start seeking the Lord, you don't immediately see the victory. You don't get the, the witness of the Spirit that you're entering into the presence of God. Satan will be right there to accuse you and tell you, you know, whatever lies from the pit of hell to try to discourage you and get you to quit and get you to give up. Understand this. There could be blockage in the third heaven that you need to pray and move out of the way, and some of these things require fasting and prayer to move. There could be generational things going on in your bloodline you've not yet dealt with. There could be sin you're unaware of. There could be warfare being done against you that you need to cancel by verbal authority. You need to take divine commandment. You need to stand in the gap and use the authority of the Lord and tear down the structures of hell, tear down the bars and the gates of of iron that Satan would erect as a hindrance to keep the people of God out of the presence of the Lord. Tear it all down, command it to be burned in the fire. Believe me, it is a war, and I'm telling you guys, they are battling daily against us. Well, we kind of, you know, well, you know. You know what you do every day. We need to stop that right now. Most of us are just, we've had our heads in the wrong place, okay? We need to pray that the Lord would give us the focus 
put our minds on the things of God and that we could devote our hearts and our energies to the prayer and to the warfare that needs to be done. Because believe me, brothers and sisters, it's a war right now, like never before. No flesh will have peace in this war either. The flesh will lose. When this war breaks out into open warfare on the face of this planet, which is what the red horse will bring, all flesh will be subject to the destruction of this war. This is going to be almost incredible. It will be like Puerto Rico, which was literally just destroyed. They have sown, to the, they've sown wheat, but they shall reap thorns. They put themselves to pain, but it shall not profit. Listen, the deeds of the flesh right now are worthless. The flesh profits nothing. The Lord already told us that. The best you can do is wood, hay, or stubble. The wood will burn. The hay will rot. And the stubble was worthless out of the gate. The deeds of the flesh are not going to help us. And that's why the Lord says, rend your heart, not your garments. We don't need to get religious, brothers and sisters. We need to get in our prayer closet. We need to get honest before the Lord. And we need to humble ourselves and repent to each other. But the people put themselves to pain. They're laboring in the flesh. They can't see. The veil of blindness is over their eyes. And all the effort, it will not profit them. They're wasting their time. And they shall be ashamed of the revenue. They'll be ashamed of what they've done because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord against all my neighbors, that touch the inheritance which I have caused my people to inherit, behold, I will pluck them out of their land, and I'll pluck out the house of Judah from among them. God's coming in severe judgment. And it shall come to pass, after I pluck them out, I will return and have compassion on them, and I will bring them again, every man to his heritage, every man to his land. This is God now doing the work of restoring his remnant. And it will come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people. That's the narrow gate. That's the straight way. The good way. The ancient path, which is the good way, where you will find peace for your soul. If you will learn the ways of the ancient path to swear by the name of the Lord who lives, then you shall be built up. and You will not be torn down. You'll be protected. The Lord will deliver you by the greatness of his glory. But if they will not obey... I will utterly pluck them up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. And as I was getting this word I, in prayer, I just said, surely there's help with you, Lord. Surely there's hope yet in Zion. And I opened, I just opened my Bible that was sitting there next to my little desk, and I opened it to Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, and I read, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver you. Amen. Hallelujah. And there is definitely deliverance coming for the people who are going to seek the Lord, for the people who turn and return to God. And then in verse 23, Daniel 6 and verse 23, this is after Daniel was cast into the lion's den, which is exactly a picture of the great tribulation. The lion, the head of a lion, is a picture of the beast. Daniel was cast into a type and a shadow of the Great Tribulation. I mean, these lions, they could have torn him to pieces. And Daniel could not defend himself. There was no hope for Daniel aside from the Lord. But in Daniel 6.23, the king was exceedingly glad when he woke up in the morning and he found Daniel still 
safe and alive. And he commanded they take Daniel out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the lion's den, even as the remnant will be taken up out of the great tribulation and put in the safe city, the city, the strong city that the Lord has prepared in the wilderness. And no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. That's what the text says. That word for believed in Hebrew is aman, and it, it means to believe, but it also means to be faithful towards. Daniel was faithful to the Lord. See, the Hellenist mind, the Hellenist worldview, where knowledge is the ultimate good, this word where we read, because he believed in his God, the Hellenist would assume, oh, that just means he believed in the Lord in his head. And I believe in the Lord in my head. I even honor God with my lips. But are we faithful to the Lord in our lives? Are our hearts faithful before the Lord? Listen, brothers and sisters, the hindrance right now is unprecedented, okay? The Laodiceans are partying. The remnant is going through a trial by fire. So if you're in the latter camp, thank God, but use that trial for the motivation to seek the Lord with all of your might, that we might learn to become faithful before the Lord in all of our ways. Daniel was faithful in all of his ways. Not that he was perfect, but if Daniel would fall, he would immediately get up, repent, return to the Lord. He didn't make excuses. He didn't hide his sin. He sought God with a pure heart, and that's what we need to do. Isaiah 22, 5, For it is a day of trouble, and of treading down, and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, and the breaking down of the walls, and a crying to the mountains. And the mountains in Scripture represent the word oros, which means to be lifted up. These are the religious institutions, the high places, where the people went and they did what was right in their eyes, worshiping and serving God in the way that seemed fit for them, not according to commandment of the Lord. The people will be crying on those mountains. Why didn't my religious ritual deliver me? Because it was Hellenist. It was all in your head, people. We've got to get the Lord in our hearts. The Lord already told us, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not religious observance or sacrifice. Now, I'm not teaching that we disobey the Lord. What I'm saying is the Pharisees obeyed the Lord in their outer actions, and in their hearts they were full of dead men's bones. The Lord called them serpents, yet they were outwardly perfect. The issue is the matters of the heart. And in that day did the Lord of hosts call for weeping, Isaiah 22, 12, and mourning and baldness and girding of sackcloth. That is the days of awe, brothers and sisters. That's what this next ten days is all about. The Lord's calling for weeping. He's calling us to have come to an account before the throne of heaven and to mourn for your sin and to put yourself in a place of humility, baldness and sackcloth. Get down on the ground, lay in the ashes, if you will. But, but no, what do we find? Joy. They're partying, gladness. They're slaying oxen, prime rib, killing a sheep, rack of lamb, 
eating of flesh and drinking of wine and strong drink. And let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will all die. And that's about to be literally fulfilled by this people. And it was revealed in my ears by the Lord of hosts, surely this iniquity, which iniquity? The iniquity of partying when God told you to fast and pray and seek his face, and the people went on in hardened rebellion, disregarding the final warnings from heaven, the Lord says, this iniquity of ignoring me even in the time of the end, surely this iniquity will not be purged from you until you die. Whoa. Yeah, you heard it. Isaiah 22, verse 14. There are a people who have so disobeyed and dishonored the Lord that the iniquity that they have fallen into is not going to be forgiven them until they die in the flesh. They're not going to be in the remnant. The Lord's going to turn them over, and they're going to be destroyed. And the Lord will save that which is his. He's very faithful. I will protect that which is mine. In their lives, their spirit belongs to Jesus. If they're a true Christian, if their heart's been born again, if they belong to the Lord, but they're so defiled that they're still walking in all this compromise, their flesh is not sanctified. Their flesh, their life, it does not belong to the Lord. They've been serving another God in their body. Guess what? It's going to cost them their physical life. But they're, you know what? We don't stay dead. I mean, look, this is going to be a number of Christians are going this way. And they're not going to hell. Okay? He's going to forgive them. After they've died in the flesh, when they're raised from the dead, the Lord's going to remember his covenant with them. And he's going to forgive them everything they did, and they're going to enter the kingdom. Albeit, they may not have a crown. They might be showing up without a wedding gift. You know, they're going to be sitting there with their pockets emptied out going, well, you know, I was so stupid, I let Satan rip me off of everything. And But, you know, Jesus was so faithful. He saved me in spite of all my sin and compromise. So the Lord still honored my prayers and and he still saved me, and so I'm, I'm here, but, you know, I kind of feel like a, a gomer pile or something. That's going to happen to believers. Isaiah 24.10, the city of confusion is broken down. Confusion is the city of confusion. The nation of confusion is the nation of Babylon. This is America in the last days. Every house will be shut up. No man may come in. There will be crying for wine in the streets. All joy will be darkened soon. The myrrh of the land will be gone. In this city will be left only desolation. And their gates will be destroyed. When it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and the gleaning of grapes when the, when the vintage, when the harvest is done. You know, the, the forces that are going to come through and try to devastate the beasts that are coming that are going to look to destroy all the people of God. They're going to be shaking these olive trees trying to shake out every last fruit, but there'll be one or two berries in the upper boughs and, and one or two pieces of fruit in the outer branches that the beast can't get. And the Lord's going to put them together in a cluster, and he's going to say, that's my remnant. And if you're born again, you get to decide if you want to be in that company or the other. They shall lift up their voice, and they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord, Isaiah 24, 14. 
This is the remnant now. They shall cry aloud from the sea of humanity. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the fires. Even the name of the Lord from the isles of the sea, from the distant coastlands. From the uttermost part of the earth, we've heard songs, even glory to the righteous. But I said, my leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Here we are with that word, deceitful dealers. That's our, that's our American economy, running on debt we never intend to pay. It's all complete lie. Fear in the pit and the snare have come upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall come to pass that he who flees from the noise of the fear of what is coming upon this nation shall fall into a pit. And he that comes up out of the midst of the pit will be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high will open, and the foundation of the earth shall be shaken. The earth is utterly broken down, utterly dissolved, and moved exceedingly. It will reel to and fro like a drunkard. It shall fall and not rise again. And in that day the Lord will punish all of those who are lifted up on high, and the kings of the earth as well. And they will be gathered together as prisoners in the pit. The moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his ancient people gloriously. Like a woman with child who draws near her time, we are in pain and we cry out for our deliverance. And so we are in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child and we have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth only the wind we have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the wicked of the world fallen. The dead shall live. Together with my dead body they will arise. Awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust. For the earth will cast out its dead. Come, my people, enter into your chambers and shut the door around you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a brief moment until the indignation of the Lord has passed over you. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Amen. Praise God. How are we doing Amen. for time, Frank? Well, I mean, we're right at an hour. If you want to go to an hour and a half, it would be good. 30 minutes. Okay, well, you had mentioned taking some calls. I just want to share one more little brief scripture from Psalm 80. Verse 3, turn us again, O God. No, the Lord has to turn us. Let me back up to verse 1. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that's Jesus, who leads Joseph like a flock, who dwells between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Stir up thy strength and come and save us. This is, folks, we are totally dependent on the Lord coming and saving us from what's about to happen. And isn't it interesting here, the, the psalmist is talking about the King of Israel, our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the true shepherd of Israel. He's leading Joseph. Joseph's at the head of the flock. And, and before him is Ephraim and, and Manasseh, his two sons, who inherited his double blessing. And then Benjamin, his little brother. And these three tribes actually were the squadron. They were the part of the camp that marched through the wilderness 
immediately after the tabernacle in the very strength and power of God. And through the power of the Lord, they scattered the enemies of Israel in the time of the patriarchs. And so here we've got a picture of the power of God coming again into the camp of the righteous. And the righteous now assembling in the same echelons in which they scattered the enemies of old. Turn us again, O God. And the Lord has to turn us. We've got to repent. We've got to seek His face. We've got to do everything that we can do. And fasting and prayer is really mandatory during these ten days of all, that the Lord would cause His face to shine, and then we shall be saved. O Lord God, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? What? It's right there, folks. Psalm 80, verse 4. There are some people, the Lord's even angry at their prayers. Well, I thought the Lord rejoiced in the prayers of his people, but not when they're hiding the sin in the tent, not when they're lying to the Lord, not when they're, it's just pretense. These are treacherous people. They're duplicitous. They want, you know, they've got their, their part of their heart is still fixed on their idols, and then they go and pray to before the Lord, and the Lord sees right through the whole charade. He's angry. Come to his house and pray with a, you know, false word to the Lord. <laughs> Thou feeds them with the bread of tears. That's what's coming. You know, if you if you seek the Lord with, you know, with a heart that's still trying to hide your sin, you're going to get the bread of tears. You're going to get to drink tears in great measure. It says in Psalm 80 verse five. And then the Lord will make you a strife under your neighbors, and your enemies will laugh at you. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Our only hope is in the Lord. You know, praise God. I appreciate you guys listening. I hope what I shared was a blessing. Um, I think it's obvious to all of us we've entered into a new time. You know, the judgment has begun. How quickly it moves forward. You know, we shall all witness together. But from the current pace of things, I'd say we are in high gear now. That's at least my witness. Amen. Thanks, well, no, no, praise God. Um, I want to just say something uh, quickly here, and we'll go take a call or two. Uh, if you want to call in, it's the number is 619-624, or excuse me, 619-924-9867, 619-924-9867. I know I didn't mention it at the beginning of the program, but if you want to call in and uh, talk to Benjamin for a moment, but I just wanted to mention something here. And we'll take a caller. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses, and chariots, and people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye Ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth forth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Folks, that is also a picture of what we're in right now spiritually too. 
not only physically, but spiritually. Spiritually, there is everything fighting against us in this day, trying to turn us away from prayer, trying to bring our families, as Benjamin was talking about, read in Jeremiah, which is the same thing repeated in the, in the gospel so often. It's those in our own house, in our own family, in, especially in churches, that war against us the hardest. And God's saying, listen, when you're going to battle, your high priest, which is the Lord Jesus, he's going to be there to intercede, and he's reminding us that your God is going to fight for you. So remember, folks, when you go to battle, that the one that's on your side is ready to do battle. We start so often in the prayer so defeated, so absolutely with not an ounce of confidence, instead of going in remembering that even though the devil's trying to bring us down, that God said, I'm going to fight this battle for you. I want you to take courage. Even though it looks unconquerable, God's already conquered it. And if you, as Benjamin was talking about, get in close to now. Listen, folks, this whole thing of just raise your hand, pray a prayer, and you're saved, and live how you want, that is deception. That's a lie. If Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say to do. Follow what I teach you to do. It's real simple. God asks us to do things that are good for us, not bad and, and hurtful to other people. You know, thou shalt not kill. That's a blessing for your neighbor. It really is a good thing. And so just remember that when God asks us to do it, he's, he's not just saying, do it alone. I'm here, and I will fight your battles for you. So let's go with a call. We've got a caller on here, area code 843. Let's bring him on. Caller, are you here with uh, Brother Benjamin Brook and Frank here on the Remnant Call? Yes, I'm here, Brother uh, Frank. Amen, amen. Go ahead. Yes, um, thank you for um, accepting my call, um, Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin. Um, I just God has just put in my heart of could you kindly discuss to us on Matthew 24 on because the the event right now is leading us to what the Lord has reminded us in Matthew 24 verse 7: Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and it's always in the news. Um, just God is just pressing me to for you guys to could you expound on that? Uh, where what Matthew twenty four? Yeah, Matthew twenty four, verse seven: For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. I mean, Amen. I just, yeah, and that, yes, yes, brother Benjamin. That that word for nation, I believe it actually. Let me just grab the Greek here. I think it is really talking about. Uh, races, yes, it is. It's ethnos. Ethnos will rise against ethnos, and so there will be racial tension, and then the kingdoms, you know, the empires will battle, and of course that's the the, the great war that's coming as well. And yeah, I'd say we're probably right at that verse. And you know, then you... there shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. These are the beginning of sorrows, and then comes the global persecution. Yeah, go ahead, Frank. You know, it's interesting that Matthew 24 starts out, you shall hear. But then it comes down to the end and says, you shall see. When you shall see all these things. We've never lived at a point in time in history where we could actually see all of these events happening. We could only hear about them before. But now we live at a place in time in history where we actually can see them. Matthew 24 couldn't even be fulfilled fully until the day and age which we live in. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, sister, so much uh, for that. And um, I've got another call here. Uh, I'm going to bring them on here to the line. Uh, Sister, I'm going to put you back here on hold. Thank you. Uh, Area code 219. You're on with uh, Brother Benjamin Brook and Brother Frank at the Remnant Call. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. All right. Uh, Yeah, my name is David. Um, Man, I was listening to this message, and it really really pricked my heart. Uh, I was one of those Christians that grew up in the church and, uh, you know, prayed the prayer, the whole thing you guys were talking about, and I was going to be okay. And uh, I kind of went on living my life, you know, just just being a good person. That's all I thought. I just got to be a good person and everything's going to be okay. But I've been listening to the show for a little bit now, just hearing you guys speak and, and hearing your message, Ben, man, it really... Ah, man, it really pricks my heart, and I I just don't know what to do. I mean, what I have all this preconception of growing up in the church and what I'm supposed to do, but and when I go to prayer, it's like it's hard because it's hard to kind of start start over, I guess, from a place of. I mean, you talk about repentance and all that, and it's hard to get in that place where I'm truly repentant. You know, repentant. Like I go and I repent. I say, oh yeah, sorry for doing this, but. But not, uh, I don't know, I'm just not getting that connection with God. And I just think it's just because of all these, this knowledge thing. You know, my faith has become a knowledge thing and not, not a place from the heart. I, I don't know if you could say anything about that. Well, first of all, we've all been there. Okay, brother, so understand, every, virtually every one of us has spent a season of, you know, I believed, I'm saved, you know, now I'm going to go do my own thing. And it, for every single one of us, it always ends in fears. You know, our best inventions always end up ruined. You know, it's just a question of how long we, until we figure that out. And, you know, what do we do to return to the Lord? Well, first of all, you know, understand who it is that you believe in. Okay, because at first it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. You know, when you first wake up and realize, wow, you know, I'm really not in the right relationship with the Lord. I'm really not, you know, entering in his presence. I just don't feel connected. I feel like that, you know, that the heavens are brass. I can't, I don't feel like I'm breaking through in prayer. I mean, and then, of course, Satan's right there. He's the reason why. There's all these hindrances, and he's right there to tell you, well, maybe God forsook you, maybe you're not saved, you know, whatever lie that he throws at, you know, he thinks it'll work, he's going to come at you with everything he's got. And, you know, the very first thing I would counsel you to do is understand, remember who it is that you have believed in. Jesus, is a, he's a God who is a rewarder of those who seek him. So even though at first it feels like we're not getting anywhere, understand that you really are. And, you know, when I moved to um, Idaho from Southern California, I knew the Lord had led me to this exact house, this exact land, and there were so many confirmations. And, And when I moved, when I packed up my moving truck, it was literally... Nothing but rainbows. I drove for 18 hours with rainbows in front of me virtually the entire way. With the final rainbow literally being 
on top of the property that I was moving into. I mean, mm-hmm. the end of the rainbow was the land the Lord had told me and had led me to. And as soon as I moved in, I realized this was Indian. I was literally part of an Indian reservation. And the curses that were on this ground were so horrible that I had to battle for like two years before I could really break through in prayer in my prayer loft. And the whole time I thought, wow, you know, Lord, I thought you led me here. You know, what did I do? I mean, I literally felt like, you know, it was a, an ambush of the enemy. But, you know, actually maybe the Lord brought me there to break through all that junk. But, you know, when we, you know, when we're sailing down the Laodicean River of compromise, everything's fine. The people are rejoicing. You know, it's going fine. And Satan's like, don't do anything, to, you know, to upset them. This, this is perfect. They're playing right into the devil's hand, you know, so he doesn't want to upset the sleeping saints. But as soon as the saint wakes up and says, wait a minute, what am I doing? I've got to get back to the Lord. I've got to get closer to the Lord. I've got to have a real relationship. I've got to find Jesus. Suddenly, that kingdom of hell that was being so cooperative, not wanting to disturb you. Now it's vehemently opposing you in everything that you do. And you're like, where did all this come from? Well, it was there all along. It was just you were going the direction they didn't want to stop, so they weren't going to raise a fuss with you. But now as soon as you start making the decision that you're going to go seek the Lord, you're going to get all the hindrance they can throw at you. So, you know, I would encourage you to learn spiritual warfare. And brother, if you want, send me an email and I'll send you um, kind of like some prayer, some insights into intercessory prayer, which I share with all the people that join the prayer army. And it's got some good uh, instruction in how to engage in spiritual warfare. Because, you know, we, whenever there's a problem you know, with our prayers, we always you know, assume it's us that's the problem. And it, and it very well could be things that we need to get right with God. But it could also be the ground on which we stand, that there's curses not yet lifted. It could be the atmosphere above us, the warfare's going on, and we just got to clear the atmosphere out. It could be direct warfare. It could be a lot of different things. You know, Satan's always there to tell you that it's just you, but, you know, more times than not, it's actually a whole lot of stuff. And as Christians, we're just not trained to, to discern and to pray through all those different areas so that we could actually begin to get the breakthrough. But, you know... As Jesus said, you know, be like the the woman who kept knocking, and you know, in the, in the parable, the judge didn't want to get up, he didn't want to answer the request, but she just would not stop until she got her request answered. And so it is with us in in seeking the Lord. Don't stop. Amen. Amen. God is hearing want, you. Heaven is I, moving. Amen. I just want to say something amen. to you, brother. Uh, this is the good news. The good news is that you said you were pricked in your heart. And you felt conviction, and you and you felt like, wow, man, this has all been just a head game. There's not been a real, a piece of my inner soul in it with the Lord. That is the first evidence that God has not left you. He is actually fighting for you, and and so you, when you feel that that that's good news, man. That's that's hope. That's excitement because that's God saying, you know what? I haven't given up on you. Now I'm really to fight for you. And, and I'm going to just say this, I, myself and Benjamin, we've both, if anybody could do something wrong, we've done it wrong. 
okay? If we could mess up, fail in a promise, uh, you know, do everything in the opposite direction of what God, we are the pictures of it. So grace has been a favorite gift of both of us. And so, brother, I know that you, you know, you may feel like you're not connecting. I just like to say, uh, you know what? Pray this thing through. Pray this thing through. You know, pray it when you don't feel it. Pray it anyways. When you, I tell people when they say, well, I just read the Bible and I don't get it. I just, just keep reading. Just keep reading. You'll get it. Come back around again. Read through it. You don't understand it. Read it again. And then all of a sudden, one day, a light bulb will go off. And so I just want to say thank you so much for calling in, brother, because you can get through this thing. You know, prayer, seeking God, fasting, all these things together. And I'll tell you what, Benjamin said to send him an email. Send me an email to uh, remnantcall at outlook.com. And Benjamin, what's your email? You can get it through my website. Through the website, yeah. Benjaminbrook.net. Yeah, send it through benjaminbrook.net. Or send me an email. And listen, brother, I'll pray with you. I, I mean this. I will pray through this with you, and I'm telling you, if you've been pricked in your heart, that means God is fighting for you. And when there's a war coming in that begins to happen in your heart, when you feel this tension that's you know, battling against you know, the flesh, that's grace fighting to take back the dominion. Grace came so that sin would no longer have dominion. That's just God warring. That war you feel, he just wants control over you so that he can lead you in the paths of righteousness. So, brother, keep your hope up. Keep faith. And Benjamin, could you pray for this, brother? Absolutely. Brother, what's your name? Uh, David. David. Thank you, David. Yes. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we lift David up. We lift all our hearts up. Lord, we ask that you do a mighty work. Lord, that you would make a way for us to return to you with a pure heart. Lord, that you'd send your conviction, bring us to a place of total repentance from everything that we need to deal with. Lord, that we might have all of our sins forgiven and all of our iniquities washed away. Lord, that we could be clean before you and that we might be able to enter in to your embrace. Lord, that we could begin to abide in your presence that we could begin to walk in your Holy Spirit. Lord, that the way might be made open to us to enter into your secret hiding place, so that we in our households will be saved, will be delivered from the hour that is in, at hand. Lord, we're your people. We cannot deliver ourselves, so we ask you for help. We are willing to be made willing, Lord. Do whatever you need to do to turn us 100% back to you, we ask that, Lord, you'd give David wisdom on how to pray. Give him discernment of spirits that he would be able to know what he needs to deal with as he prays through all of these issues, returning to you, Lord. And for all the people that are listening to this program, I pray, Lord, your word would go forth and do a mighty work of redemption, restoration, and salvation in each and every one of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, brother. Thanks for calling in. Listen, send us an email, man. We're going to pray for you. Hey, blessings. All right. Thank you so much, guys. I'll send that email. Okay. God bless you. Benjamin, we are living in a time. um, I don't know what else God has to do to get our attention. Um, I don't know what else God has to do, Benjamin, to wake us up. Well, um, he's probably going to send a, a swarm of earthquakes, a storm, if you will, of earthquakes, 
that will ultimately decimate much of the West Coast. Uh, there'll be a similar decimation on the East Coast. As the country is reeling from the, these, a tsunami of disasters that is coming, then the war will come, and the Russian missiles will come, and the Chinese soldiers will come, and, and the United States will literally be destroyed. The daughter of Babylon will burn in one hour. You know, Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18, the ten kings who rule with the Antichrist, they hate the kingdom of mystery Babylon, and so they, they conspire together to destroy her. Well, they don't hate the one world government that they're going to create in the aftermath of World War III. They hate the United States because of our Christian heritage. And so, you know, brother, you know, through this process, everyone who names the name of Jesus and who belongs to the Lord is going to be shaken to the core of their being. And, you know, I had the experience of being translated into that future years ago from my living room, and, you know, Frank, it just, it was so intense, you know, to see, to, to witness what is about to come to pass. And in many ways, I'm glad I'm not in touch with those intense emotions anymore, mm-hmm. because they, they cut you to the core of your being. That's what's coming. So, you know, the Lord is going to melt the people. I mean, we are all going to melt, okay? And we're not going to have any strength in ourselves, but we're going to be brought to the place of total repentance. And when we finally lay it down, as soon as we turn to the Lord with all of our heart, He's right there. He pours out the Holy Spirit. He comforts His people. You know, God only brings His judgment in the life of His children to turn them back to righteousness. As soon as the fire, as soon as the affliction has done its work, the Lord pulls us right out of the fire because he does not enjoy the suffering of his people any more than we do. He's looking for the opportunity to deliver us. But, you know, the sin, it's, it's, a re- it's like cancer. You know, it hides within us. And, you know, if we're not willing to fast, physically fast from food and enter in a season of fasting and prayer, the only thing left is in order to actually overcome this garbage that becomes so embedded, it settles into our hearts. The only thing that God has left to do, if we won't obey the admonition of fasting and prayer, and we won't gather in the solemn assemblies, and we won't obey his word and confess our sins one to another, and if we won't do what the Lord said to do, then, well, the Lord has to do it himself. And the way he does it is he puts us in the fire. And you know what? It hurts. So bad, it begins to feel good. I'm serious. That's what's coming. The, the emotional pain of what's about to happen to the church is so intense, it's beyond anything you can imagine. It's a sword that pierces to the very core of your being. It goes to the very bottom of your heart. It's way deeper than you've ever consciously experienced. And I'd already been through, a, a, you know, kind of a mega load of pain in my life. I mean, you know, the... The trials and tribulations I'd already seen were epic, and what's coming is without parallel. But it pierced, it'll pierce your heart so deeply that it'll take you to the core of your being, and from that place, you will repent from the totality of your heart, and we will all throw away all of our idols, and we will have no use for our secret sins anymore. 
and we will turn to the Lord with all of our hearts. And at that point, heaven will respond, and the Lord will gather his people back to himself, and he will pour out the Holy Spirit of peace and comfort, and he will bind up the wounds of the afflictions that he had to bring in order to bring us to the end of ourselves. And, you know, there's an easier way, and it's, it's the way of fasting and prayer. It's the way of separating yourself and, and seeking God with all of your heart. But, you know, sad truth is most of us simply are not interested. Mm. And so, you know, we really just, I mean, it takes a little bit of discomfort, you know, to fast and pray. You know, your little tummy yells at you a little bit. You know, I mean, you know, it, the lust, the, the gluttony spirits, you know, you know, and if you're an American, you probably have committed some gluttony. This whole country is a bunch of gluttons, really. We've all been gluttons. We eat way more than we need. You know, we eat for pleasure. The scripture condemns that, by the way. You know, it talks about woe to the nation whose leaders eat for pleasure. And right there, your judgment's already off, you know. God didn't create food for us to just go glutton on. You know, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the food that we eat, but it's got to be in moderation. It can't be, you know, lascivious, voracious, you know, eat the whole bag, right? Amen. Isn't that who we yeah. are? <laughs> it's the whole thing. I mean, look problem. at Thanksgiving, supposedly yeah. a day of, of giving thanks to the Lord for the provision and for the survival of the founding fathers, the, the early pilgrims that came here. And what do we do on Thanksgiving? We all overeat, right? Then we sit down and we watch the Nephilim, the NFL, on TV. And I mean, it's really? This yeah. is really, we think this is going to work out for us? Guess again. Well, folks, we got about three minutes left here. And I just want to close with this story here. Um, because I know a lot of you are trying and you're struggling and, and, and you're wondering, is God here? And this is a story, it's, it's the... It's a legend, you know. Take it as you will. I'm not saying it's accurate or not. Legends sometimes are true, but I own the story. It's a legend of the Cherokee Indian boys when they they write a passage unto a man. The father would take the son out into the forest and blindfold him and leave him alone through the night. He's required to sit on a stump through the whole night and not remove the blindfold until the rays of the morning sun was to shine through. He cannot cry out for help to anyone, and once he survives the night, then he becomes a man. He cannot tell the other boys of the experience because each lad must come into manhood on his own. The boy is naturally terrified. He can hear all kinds of noises. Wild beasts must surely be all around him through the night. Maybe even some humans might do him harm. He is scared, but he must be quiet. The wind blows in the grass of the earth and shook the stump that he sat on, but he sits stoically because he's desired to become a man. Never removing the blindfold, it would be the only way he could crossed that rite of passage. Finally, after a horrific night, the sun would appear and he would remove his blindfold. It was then that he would discover his father had been sitting on the stump next to him all through the night. He had been watching the entire night protecting his son from harm. Folks, that's a picture of our God. He's there with us. He's not going to leave us. And when you feel like you're in a dark hour, when you feel like you're in that fiery furnace, well, guess what? There's one in there also, and he looks like the Son of God. Folks, I just want to say God bless each one of you. Thank you, Benjamin, for coming on. We'll get you back on soon. This is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin with the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Shalom. Oh, God.